something is coming. A brand new venture. These are the voyages of the new hit or miss Star Trek podcast. Each week we'll be bringing you guests from around the Star Trek sphere, from Star Trek Twitter, from the life of our illustrious co-host, and from people who have a desire to talk about all things Star Trek, an inclusive podcast which will cover everything from The Cage to That Hope Is You Part 2, from the original series to Strange New Worlds. And this podcast will boldly go very soon. In fact, episode one will be coming to your galaxy on September the 5th. Make a date. Keep your hailing frequencies open and keep a lookout. And remember, we are Starfleet. Live long and prosper. in the marine corps like a day on the farm hello there faithful viewer and welcome to the final episode in this first series of the hit or miss big screen podcast uh if you've been listening you know that uh, we're talking this week about the movie aliens so no surprise there and you'll know that uh, i'm joined by a very special guest from thursday the 12th horror blog um, a blog that both of us uh, started and Neither of us seem to write on very often. Uh, it's my friend, Gary Shaw. Gary, how are you doing? <laughs> Hello, good evening, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're all feeling fabulous this evening. I am uh, I'm very, very well. Michael, thank you very much uh, for the opportunity to come on the show. As I explained, um, hopefully there won't be too many uh, interruptions, but uh, my terrible two, which always give me nightmares, are lurking around somewhere. So <laughs> I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for an uninterrupted uh, session on the podcast, but I'll certainly do my best. Yes, you're living the life that somebody of my age should be living. See, I'm just <laughs> still in the flat alone and you're uh, full family mode, so <laughs> never mind. I am you tonight, learn. but I tell you what, I do envy your peace at times. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. But enough of that, we're here to talk about grotesque horror movies and stuff. <laughs> so uh, just to give us a very brief outline then, do you remember the first time that you watched the film Aliens and what was your initial thoughts going into it? Well, I'll, I'll take you back to the very first time that um, I saw some of Aliens. So not where I've watched it in its entirety, but where I saw some of it. I think... From recollection, I was probably around about six, seven, eight years old, certainly under 10. And what has happened was on this occasion, I had uh, went over to see my auntie and uncle with mm -hmm. my mother. And she had a, a very big house up in Heaton, I think it was. Really nice house. And uh, every so often, uh, one of my uncles, one of my other uncles would go over and spend a little bit of time there and they'd watch movies and things like that. Um, and so I was speaking to my auntie and... Uh, 
what I didn't realize in the other room, which is made all dark, you know, close the curtains and everything and uh, turned the sound on very loud. What I didn't realize is that um, Aliens was playing because my <laughs> uncle liked a lot of the same films that I, I now like. Um, and he turned it up really loud, as I say, in a really dark room on a big screen TV, bigger than certainly anything I'd seen at the time. Man, your uncle were, you know, reasonably financially well healed. Um, so I went in. Uh, I went in the room to to see my uncle and just to say hello. And I was absolutely both gobsmacked and horrified to witness the sequence with the loader and the uh, alien queen oh, and the battle end. that ensued. Pretty much at the very end, you know, I saw Bishop ripped in half with his, uh, you know, sim, you know, his, his, his robotic white blood, you know, spurting everywhere, and I was just lost for words. I don't think I was brought to tears, but it certainly I was absolutely horrified, and that moment has stuck with me for a very long time. So. When I did get to see Aliens in its entirety, and I must say, I must be honest, I can't remember exactly um, when it was the first time that I saw it, sort of the the, the full movie um, from start to finish. But but that uh, that moment in in my subconscious and my conscious mind has, has stayed with me very very long time. Not just because of the uh, the horror element of it, but but the sci-fi as well. So the yeah. big the big suit that she's wearing, the load suit, Absolutely, and the yeah. fact that. The alien gets blasted into space and everything about it. Honestly, it, it blew my mind completely. And still to think of it now, you know, there's, there's some cinematic moments. I'm, I'm a big fan of the media, as you know, yeah, whether yeah. that uh, games, movies, films, TV, whatever it might be. Um, that moment really stuck with me. And it sort of introduced me to that world and those high concepts. And oh, it was just fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. So, yeah. Awesome. In, um, so, did you, uh, had you seen the that, that sort of one scene in Aliens before you'd even seen kind of the Ridley Scott original? Then, in that case, um, no, I don't think I'd seen the Ridley Scott original. I think that was sort of my first foray mm. into uh, in, into that world. Um, but most recently, as as I mentioned, I have uh, had the opportunity to pick up the. I think it was the quadrilogy. So yeah, I got it's a great that. A fantastic box set, and I watched Aliens, first of all, because I knew that I was going to be coming along and speaking to you about mm -hmm. it, so so I watched that first, um, and then I went back and I've watched Aliens. So yes, I've watched it out of sequence, but I thought it was more important to make sure that um, that I managed to watch Aliens first, so we could have a, a proper little natter about it, shall we say. And so I did, I, I, finished, work, I finished work late one night, um, got back, put it in. And uh, before I knew it, it was three o'clock in the morning and I'd, I'd thoroughly enjoyed sitting down and watching the special edition. And your missus was up with the kids a couple of hours later and uh, kicking yes. you for being up so late. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes. Trying to get me to do stuff with the kids when I'd only been asleep a, a short while. So that was never going to happen. But uh, <laughs> yes, watch the special edition. Yes. I think the... I was just uh, the, the added footage, as you mentioned, I think it is the uh, it's the Cameron preferred edit, isn't it? Yeah, well, in the in the uh, quadrilogy box, I'm sure you know, but just for the audience, there's a little intro by James Cameron where he says that it's the version he prefers. It's what he would have put out if it wasn't for the fact that the studio had kind of said conventional wisdom was to not make a film that was so long. Um, so they'd asked him to cut a huge amount to get it to roughly two hours, uh, whereas the extended cut is 235, I think. Um, but he says he doesn't regard the theatrical version as kind of existing or as being his film at all at all. He very much resents the uh, the studio interference about cutting the scenes. And there is some scenes that were cut uh, that I'm sure we'll get to that, that really the film, I think, needs and thematically that, that, that aren't necessary to understanding a lot of the deeper points that the film tries to make. But 
it's just a shame that uh, that wasn't what came out in cinemas. But I'll be honest, I have seen one person and only one on um, Letterboxd who says that the extended version apparently isn't as good because it's too long and stuff. But I don't subscribe to that. So, <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> I, I, I guess, you know, it, it's how much you, you want to invest in the film because clearly there's going to be a little bit of extra exposition because certainly what, what's kept in, the, in the, the theatrical cut is that ongoing ramping up of tension and there's a lot of a lot of things that are cut that actually as you say i think certainly add to to the storytelling um and it works really well and certainly if you want to go through those uh additional scenes um more than happy to do so but uh, oh man you know just just if we're picking on one those those sentry guns Absolutely yes. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that was special edition only because there's yes. some that I there's some that I know for a fact are, but that's one of the ones I didn't realize. But yeah, that is a great scene. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, They're talking about all the equipment that they've got, and you know, they, they don't mention that at the start and when it turns up um and, and they've got those. I just think, oh man. It, it's one of those it's one of those sequences where you, you think um because you, you can see it just ramps up the tension throughout the film where it makes you think Oh, well, maybe the good guys might make it because they've got this extra bit of equipment. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's only effectively 2,000 bullets and they go down very quickly when the xenoform, xenomorphs are hunting you down. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that, that does give you that one great scene, though, which is like it's such brilliant writing that it's the, the guns are just kind of railing away into the xenomorphs and then you find out that one of the sentry guns is down to, what, 10 bullets? 10 bullets. Um, <laughs> but, but then you get Ripley kind of saying, well, they don't know that. Exactly. <laughs> it becomes one big bluff, basically, with the... Yes. Like, oh, they, yes. They'll have looked for another way around. They don't know there's only a few bullets left in it. But uh, Exactly. Yeah, that's, exactly. again, there's a lot of, I think, moments like that where it's all about the tension of, like, how much can we just bluff our way through or... You know, survive by the skin of our teeth and uh, yeah. try to get through. And it's it's a tense movie, it is. But uh, yeah, um, before we go any further, I should probably because uh, I did want to get into a little bit about the story of um, how we connected over this film, which I'm not even sure if you remember, <laughs> because there's uh, we've obviously been friends for a long time, even though we sometimes go long periods without talking. We've known each other for well over a decade, I would say now. Um, yes, absolutely. And uh, we met at university doing an English and film studies degree uh, and specifically in the film studies part of it, where we were in uh, various sort of movie screenings and stuff on a Monday morning. Mm -hmm. Uh, But instead of a movie, one of the mornings, we were told we were going to do a um, scene analysis of the sort of visual mise-en-scene and the language of this one scene. And it's the pop shit scene from Aliens. which they must have played us like 30 times to the point that I've, I now get PTSD as soon as I see Vasquez pick up the kind of the big rear gun and I'm like, oh, the scene's coming. Oh, my God. It's, we've analysed it so much to death. But, um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it does somewhat take away from the magic of cinema um, <laughs> if, if you're looking at something with a particularly critical eye over and over and over and over, as I'm sure the viewers can well imagine. If they've, if they've not had that experience, I strongly recommend against especially for a film you particularly enjoy yeah absolutely (laughs) and uh, looking back at it now i can see why we did that and again i might get into that a bit later because it does set up an awful lot of stuff and i get that it's important but 
it's just the fact that it was drilled into us so damn much so many times and it was like what am i looking for that i'm missing i think i've analyzed every inch of the screen but yes, yeah absolutely absolutely <laughs> but it uh, it did lead us to us memorizing like every bit of dialogue of that scene and for about a solid year i think afterwards just walking around uni campus giving it like one express elevator to hell going down <laughs> <laughs> marines on the ready line and just the various bits like that and, I mean, that, that sort of takes us nicely back to talking about how the tension is uh, is really ramped up because you've got these characters, a lot of machismo, you know, a lot of posturing, yeah. and very quickly they find that they're completely overwhelmed by an enemy of the type that they've, they've never faced before, you know. And you Absolutely. see that in particular, the way in which uh, Hudson reacts, how very quickly he realises, possibly in a way that the others don't, that actually it is almost completely hopeless. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's a bit of that, but there's a bit of like um the there's a few moments of what I think could be classed as cliches, but that I don't really mind. And Hudson's the biggest one, because again, I'm not sure if it's in the theatrical version, but it definitely was in the special edition where he's like, well, I was four weeks away from retirement, Mark. Just to to bring us back to something then, uh, talking about kind of the scenes that are important, I think, via the, the special edition. Uh, the first and most important one we should probably get into is uh, when Ripley is first on uh, what's it called, the way station. Um just orbiting the earth and uh, we find out that not only did she have a daughter but she just missed her daughter's date of death because of yes. the kind of 57 years in stasis um, yes absolutely which of course brings us to a nice uh, a nice counterpoint when she uh, then takes the figure of the mother for for newt later on in the show absolutely and the kind of uh, as well as the conflict the kind of good mother versus bad mother between ripley and the alien queen which uh, yes like the ultimate thematic version of that uh, of that conflict isn't it so Absolutely, absolutely no. So, you know, as much as we've we've seen her kind of uh, escaping her uh, her deep sleep um, over in space, and then uh, finding out the the awful news. Not only she's got to sit in front of a board and be grilled, but like you say, she's also managed to uh, miss her, her daughter's death. You know. Yeah, which I think, like I said, I think the fact that she has the daughter is a really important thing. That's a shame is cut from the theatrical version. Um, yes, she she even brings it up to Newt in a scene of them bonding later. That's not in the theatrical cut um, when yeah. she's kind of tucking Newt into bed and says she had a daughter, but she's you know, and then she says, "Oh, she's she's no longer with us" or something. And Newt, being very blunt, is just, "You mean dead?" Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> I, I must say, whoever wrote the uh, the particular script uh, for Newt certainly um, you know nailed that character on. Oh, they, some of the statements she makes as a little girl is just fantastic. You know, I see, I can see exactly the same bluntness in my daughter, who is probably <laughs> not a not a dissimilar age. So yeah. yes, yeah, they've captured that beautifully well. That that particular script work writer, well done on that man or woman for nailing the, the bluntness of a prepubescent girl. I believe it was probably James Cameron as, as the credited writer, but you know, it could have been Gail Hood producer or anything, but. Um... As a little uh, sort of continuation of that, I did notice that at the start we do get that kind of cliche horror moment when Ripley is imagining that there's an alien chestburster or um, an alien inside of her that's about to come out. And yes, it's the kind of horror misdeed because it ultimately turns out it's a nightmare. But one thing that I did take note of this time is that in the nightmare, the alien is coming from a stomach and not from a chest, uh, yes. which kind of feeds into the theme of maternity i think and i think that's the deliberate choice on their part to kind of like mm -hmm. uh, she's kind of I, I guess she's scared of her own 
maternal instincts, but also that's a nightmare because of the whole death of a daughter and stuff that, that would have been cut out. So mm -hmm. um, yeah. I think that's a, a great choice by Cameron, I think, in that particular scene, definitely. Yeah, um, absolutely. And it, it, it's the foreshadowing of the threat later on as well, which I think is, is really important, you know, how quickly things spiral into a very dark and dangerous place for for pretty much everybody that's that's in you know all of the all of the crew and ripley and everybody that ends up going back to to to, to the planet you know and the, yeah. horrific, the horrific scenes that they then face absolutely but uh yeah as you said basically you, you hinted at it there what it also does is these scenes kind of revisit the first movie because it's what seven years between these two so there may be people that haven't seen it or just aren't that familiar um, yes. So again, it's kind of it's nice that you get exposition, but it doesn't seem like it's just exposition because it's kind of framed as Ripley's board meeting and of her <laughs> being chewed out about. Which again, it, it's beautiful because it it gives you Ripley's character. Like I don't, I'm sick of all this kind of crap, and I don't want to be chewed out. It gives you the company's motivation because they're all entirely like, well, that was a billion dollar spacecraft or whatever. Um, <laughs> but it also fills you in on these are the crew's lives that were lost. There was one of these creatures, Ripley. Flushed it, as you said. You like the line for flushed out the damn airlock or whatever. Absolutely, yes, yes, um, fantastic. And but having had the uh, the displeasure to sit in not dissimilar meetings, I can honestly say that is very much how some of them go. So again, a very well observed scene, shall I say, and say no more on the matter. Absolutely, but it does bring me <laughs> into the kind of um, the, the company's plotline, I guess, in this movie because. It, it, there's part of me that thinks, is it a little bit basically just copying Alien? Um, because obviously we had that the same time around. They, they were the ones that programmed Ash and they did want the creature and stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. and part of me is like, is she kind of dumb for trusting Burke in the first place? Or yeah. was it not about that? And uh, it's a slight criticism and it's not something that I hugely mind because I, I like that it feeds in later to the rather on the nose line about, you know, I don't know which species is worse. They don't see, you don't see them screwing each other over for a damn percentage or whatever. But, yes. Um, uh, so yeah. it, it's it's kind of good that it's there, I think, because it's part of the theme of, like, the monsters can also be people. <laughs> yes. Something that, uh, something that I know is popular in, like, The Walking Dead and stuff nowadays. It's like a, yeah. it's not just straight horror from the obvious places. Uh, because... No, no, that's right. I mean, the idea of the synthetic humans as well. I mean, literally, it could be the person next to you, you know? And it, yeah. clearly, that, that that's from the outset her concern when uh, she's made aware that Bishop is uh, is an android synthetic human, however you want to term it, because yeah. of her experiences uh, from, from the first film, from Alien. Absolutely. And that brings me to another thing I absolutely love about uh, the, the kind of plot and the writing of, of this movie is that she's understandably really shook and distrustful of Bishop, um, and I think the audience is as well. And for the first sort of, let's say, half of the movie, at least, he's kind of sinister and a little bit sus. Um, yes. But then the movie subverts it beautifully by the end so that he's kind of the reason for them all surviving. And he's he's kind of done the, done the right thing throughout. Um, yes. But again, the scenes kind of all the information is there in that first scene, if you want it, because he does quote the kind of Asimov laws of robotics to her and says, you know, I could never do what Ash did because now I'm programmed with the, you know, can't harm a human or allow a human through an action to be harmed and the various things that we know from Robocop are the, uh, the key directives. But uh, Yes. Yeah. And I mean, if you look at the casting choices, as you say, yes, okay, he makes that statement, but also Lance Henriksen, sort of the, the physicality that he brings to the role, he's quite quiet and unassuming, but he's got mm. a very distinctive look and I'd suggest that particular look isn't one of potentially a friendly face. 
Yeah, so well, I think he's amazingly well cast for that particular role, especially to initially kind of give that sense of almost of menace. Absolutely. And I was reading that the way that he got that kind of unnerving performance was that he played it as if he was his own 12 year old self. So that he mm. kind of has that level of both innocence and yet you don't really know kind of what's going on. So it is a little bit kind of sinister because, uh, as you well know, kids are kind of unpredictable at times. Oh, so, yes. Yeah. Um, you, you certainly don't always know what they're thinking. And and that's the worry with Bishop. And, of course, that, that further is extrapolated throughout the film series, especially when you look at some of the most recent offerings, such as Prometheus, which kind of explores that idea even further where the synthetics have their own agenda. Absolutely, but uh, that's a review for another time. So. <laughs> but, uh, it is, most definitely. <laughs> it would be an interesting one, though, for sure, because I know Will, my co-host, hasn't even seen um, Prometheus or Alien Covenant, and uh, I'd I'd love to revisit them. So uh, I do recall them not quite being as good, but then there aren't any as good as these kind of first two, but yes, that's, I think, yes. common, uh, common accepted wisdom, really, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for what it's worth, if we're just sort of generalising here, I really quite liked uh, Prometheus. I really liked the high concepts stuff yeah. i thought the cg was particularly effective i like the way it introduced uh, the engineers mm. wasn't really massive on covenant i thought that was a bit of a down note after some yeah. of the heights that prometheus reached and weirdly enough i'm the exact opposite i really didn't like prometheus and i was completely oh, on board for alien covenant <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's kind of yeah but i think that's the thing is, is those movies are so weirdly divisive in that way that I don't know if you can find anybody that either loves or hates both of them in equal measure. Yeah. Um, yeah. But either way, I think it's probably safe to say that Ridley Scott's intention slightly kind of failed because there's no real unified sense of uh, a, a logical prequel to the first Alien, and it's generally not accepted that either are as good, unfortunately. It kind, no. of, uh, it no. kind of does tarnish the legacy, and I do kind of see that as kind of, uh, you know, it kills the mystery if you you'd want to find out where the aliens come from because it's not quite as horrifying when you know, isn't it? So, well, no, um, that's right. The, you know, the idea, the concept behind the alien, something unknown, and particularly with the xenomorph, xenomorph thing, something unknowable as well. It, it, is, it is so alien, so almost incomprehensible to us that that is what drives the fear. So like you say, if you explore that backstory too much, um, you, you sort of, you, you remove some of that from the shadows don't you bring it into the light yeah. is it horrifying anymore well yes it can kill you but is it truly scary yeah exactly i think it does it, it takes away some of that horror of the unknown and the uh all the things that i think work in those first two movies because it represents so much on a weird like uh what's the word like subconscious level like it could yeah. represent fear of everything from sexual organs to uh the weird sort of melding of flesh and machine to yes you know regular just life bugs on this planet or anything that could be seen as a threat um and you kind of take all that away when it turns out oh it's just a thing i just can't get on board with this idea that everything needs an explanation of it's come and seeded from somewhere but anyway like i said it does vaguely bring us to another scene that again i'm devastated was cut from the theatrical version because it's so important which is the scene of the the colonists being sent to discover the ship from the first movie um, yes. Because there's such a lot going on here. First of all, just as a random aside, the captain of Red Dwarf appears in this scene, which would otherwise have been cut. Which was really? Weird... Yeah, like the um, guy in charge of the colony is the captain of Red Dwarf, Captain Mac McDonald or something. Um, oh. And I was so just like taken aback by that. He's the guy that has the um, exchange that appears later in Terminator 2 about. I don't ask because 
they just keep saying, you know, don't ask if I ask, and then it comes up the chain. And but it does yeah. basically that scene also very importantly reveals the name for the first time of the company, Wayland Yutani, building better yes. worlds, etc. Um, but it also it also reveals that the, the finding of the alien ship and the eggs and stuff was not an accident. They were sent there by the company on company orders. That's um, right. Which That's we right. do get later on when it's revealed that it's actually Burke himself, obviously, who did it, because, you know, nasty bugger that he is. But um, yes. it's kind of it's it's good that you get that at this point, I think, because it's the company. And it also kind of gives Ripley a little bit of culpability, because the only reason they knew where to look was from her report. Um, yes. So, again, it, it's not just, like, in the theatrical version, it could come across as a complete coincidence. Like, oh, they just found it exactly as Ripley was found, but... It's kind of a, a cause and effect kind of thing where it's like, no, it's found because Ripley was uncovered. So Yeah, you know, I, I think that's important. Yeah, absolutely. The fact that they've cut that is a little bit strange because why would they have gone to that particular spot and then yeah, identified that particular issue? In fact, the uh, the massive alien spacecraft here. Definitely a bit of a strange, uh, a strange editing choice for whoever deemed the theatrical cut was worthy to be put out. But I, I completely agree with you. That horrifying moment when you initially see you know, you see them going out to that spaceship. You think it's not going to end well, and then you yeah. get the cut. Um, you get the cut back to the children in the yes. in the vehicle in the little um, little rover type vehicle. Little and, Newton, her uh, brother, yeah, <laughs> yeah, Newton, her brother, and she makes a comment that they've been a long time. And I just thought, you know, that that's a great again foreshadowing sense of foreboding. They've been away a long time. They're exploring what is essentially an alien spacecraft. It's not going to go for, well for them, is it? Let's be honest. No, but I love that. Again, that's kind of a sort of very horror movie moment as well. Firstly, it's good that it's our chance to see Newt's family, which wouldn't have appeared in the theatrical version, um, whereas now we can kind of see what happens to them. But I love the fact that you kind of get the jump scare of her mother uh, darting into the cab of the vehicle and then saying, you know, oh, we need help. Something's happened to your father. And then he's just kind of spread eagle on the floor with a face hugger attached to his face. And uh, yes. that's all you kind of need to know. The visual kind of tells you everything as well as Newt's scream. And if you've seen, I was going to say, yeah, video. one one of the most uh, impactful parts of that scene is is the end sequence there that I've just alluded to. It switches over to Newt, and you've just got that continuous, high pitched, unnerving, mm. uh, nails down a blackboard moment of her scream, which is piercing. Thankfully, I didn't have it turned up loud, but I guarantee at three in the morning I would have woken the rest of the household if I did. <laughs> it's a good, like I say, I think that's a good horror sequence. And again, it's a shame that it was cut from the theatrical version because it, to me, it's also a very kind of um, exploring the haunted house kind of moment yes. uh, where the, the kind of unseen creatures are the alien eggs that we, and again, we don't get into it. The scene doesn't show the, the mother and father exploring, but we get the picture from just a little bit we get of like, oh, you're walking into danger and you don't know the half of it kind of thing. No, so. That's right. That's oh. right. Absolutely. And uh, so then we get uh, introducing kind of the colonial Marines uh, as they try to drag Ripley into it. Um, we only meet the kind of what's what's the best way to put this? The rather inexperienced uh, kind of inept lieutenant um, who's yes. in charge. But um, he tries to bring Ripley along with the promise that, you know, these are Marines. They're the best and uh, they'll have your back and protect you. And uh, but she's having absolutely none of it and mentions uh, what I've said here is Chekhov's cargo loader, because it gets a quick reference here when they ask what she's doing for kind of money in a job, and she said she's been loading things uh, for one of the, I guess, on-station companies or something. Um, and then later, of course, we get her showing off that she can use the cargo loader in front of uh, Apone and the various Marines, um, yes. which, again, it, it's set up deliberately so that you don't come to the end of the movie and just 
hey, I'm in this thing that you've never seen before. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. There's just enough exposition in that sequence where you can see that she's, she's clearly very competent in the role of, uh, of, of controlling the loader um, yeah. with, with a little... Um, <laughs> the, the sequence where she, she's walking in it and turns and where she says something along the lines of uh, where do you want me to put it and it's, yeah, it's, it's slightly it? cringeworthy now with the, the, the slightly poor CG they had at the time but nonetheless it is very important sequence like you say for what does follow yeah. later on I think it's it's good because a lesser film basically would just have her you know a quick shot of the cargo loader or whatever when the ship takes off and then just have her appear in the last scene and it would be kind of eh where did that come from but, yes um, yeah, but it, it gives you just enough that it doesn't come from nowhere, but it also doesn't foreground it so much that you're like, well, I know where she's gone. She's gone to get the power loader. So it is still a yes. nice kind of surprise when it happens, you know? Um, but yeah, uh, I love, love, love all of the model work in this movie. Um, I'm a <laughs> sucker for the old tiny, um, this is a bit of a slight detour, but for the old time kind of models instead of CGI when it comes to spaceships and vehicles and stuff. Uh, and I just think the look of the Sulaco is just gorgeous. I'd love like a model shape of it because <laughs> um, I just think yeah it's very well done even the um, not so much the models they're actual kind of real cars and things that were adapted but the APC and the um, the drop ship the sort of the yeah the personnel carrier little car thing uh, they've all mm -hmm. been constructed to look futuristic but out of actual things and uh, I just yeah. think it's really they're really really cool um, and on a similar note the creature effects by Stan Winston shout out they are fantastic Obviously, yes. the alien creatures and especially the alien queen. But again, I'll probably get to that a little bit later when we actually see. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. No, I think the uh, some of the visual effects are still outstanding. I think some of them are a little bit of their time, but that that's not to denigrate them. I mean, if you look at uh, certain movies like the Ray Harryhausen stuff, mm. that, that still stands up if you want to kind of... Uh, buy in the visual imagery and the, and the storytelling. Yeah. And I, think, um, yeah, I think there's less of that. I think when you think of the, the alien queen is so impressive that it still baffles me that it is basically just the world's largest puppet. Um, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, it doesn't really seem like it. And yet there's just a ton of people controlling it via various kind of strings and rods and stuff. So, yes, yeah. Uh, but in, in terms of the, uh, the horror and sci-fi imagery, I think... What, what really stood out to me was um, a couple of the close-up sequences um, when they're looking at the, uh, the the alien eggs containing the face hugger. Mm, and yeah. the, there's a moment where one of them goes slightly transparent and you can see the face hugger embryo kind of squirming inside. Yes, absolutely. And, oh, I mean, that is, that is literally a stomach-churning moment because you know <laughs> what's coming back next, you know. And you know yeah. that moment... Is, is quite likely going to be the death of anybody that's going to be nearby, genuinely yeah. horrifying, you know? Absolutely, and, and even the scene, again, we may as well jump to it now later on, when Burke has trapped Ripley and Newt in the room with two facehuggers, and they are kind of darting about the room and jumping at them, and we see the kind of, the almost phallic kind of up-close shot of it, very close to their face in kind of POV. Um, and yes. again, it, it never seems like, oh, this is just a... A ridiculous puppet thing that's coming after them it seems real and scary and like you said you're kind of like ah it's so close to your face don't let it impregnate mm -hmm. you or whatever and uh, yeah very very gross and very uh suitably scary and even to a yep. to, uh, to a lesser extent the earlier scene where they first go into the um medi lab 
and one of the huggers is alive. And so uh, I think it's Bishop is just staring at a jar and then it just <laughs> nudges the jar and kind of comes to life. And it's one of those kind of jump shock moments of like, yeah. <laughs> yes. And, and that's the one that uh, particularly like Burke, as I remember. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. So, uh, yeah, yeah. So it wanted to be, uh, it wanted to be Burke's girlfriend, didn't it, at the time? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so no, I think. In in particular, the uh, the face huggers were particularly disturbing in yeah. Aliens. Obviously, the the effect has gone a little bit further than they had in Alien, mm. and that um, that kind of physical display of just the unnatural movement. I mean, I, yes. I'll say on the podcast, I don't mind. I, I, I'm a little bit arachnophobic. I don't particularly yes. like spiders, and I think the model that they built for the face hugger it has kind of the worst of all worlds. So, like you say, it does have that kind of the phallic thing, you know, yeah. that kind of protrusion that uh, would enter the mouth, but it's got the many spindly legs, but it's also got the long tail section as well. And I think, oh, what a design. If you're going to if you're going to come up with something that was um, the, the nightmare of many people, I think they've absolutely nailed that on there. Oh, absolutely. Awful. Well, um, <laughs> rather, uh, rather controversially, I did read somewhere that part of the design, I think by H.R. Geiger, he'd said that part of the design was because it was, um, it was playing into people's fear of, I think oral rape was how we put it. What I will kind of talk about is the, um, the the colonial marines that are introduced to the kind of franchise and everything in this film. Uh, another kind of James Cameron idea, which he said is because he became fascinated with the Vietnam War uh, when he was okay. doing editing for, I think, somebody who'd done war photography and stuff. Um, mm. And he was amazed by how the American military with all of these kind of grunts and hard asses and massive amounts of tech and weaponry could be defeated by these kind of force that could just get through tunnels really well and ambush them. Mm -hmm. uh, when yeah. you know that, you realize that absolutely is what the bulk of the film is. Because um, mm -hmm. the aliens kind of representing the Viet Cong that are, you know, they're nowhere near as advanced or anything, but they just happen to know where to sneak around and get you and how to ambush you. And mm -hmm. they end up picking off the soldiers, but uh, I think that's a nice touch, and it's a nice touch that they all kind of went to boot camp together, and they've even got an actual uh, U.S. Marine sergeant. Uh, the chap who plays Apone uh, was an actual sergeant, apparently. So, and I oh, fantastic, that, fantastic! Yeah. And I think you can see that, you know, and yeah. he's clearly quite a natural at uh, at barking out those orders. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you've got the big characters, which I can say from uh, from, from my background, I'm not saying very much, but um, it's very much like that in. Uh, in certain services backgrounds, you will find people want to be the best or want to be per perceived in a particular way. So again, script writing was absolutely nailed on. Characterization, fantastic. Yes. Apone as as the man in charge, great, absolutely great. Absolutely, and it's it's good because it's like like a lot of kind of horror films and of Cameron's movies. Apone is the character that you're introduced to. Was like this to be important. He's going to be leading them. And it's such a shock when he gets killed off almost immediately yeah. when the fighting starts. Um, <laughs> yes, it, it, unfortunately, it doesn't go too well for him, does it? No, right, not so good. No. Um, <laughs> yeah. Also, like I said, the fact that the actors, they have they clearly have that thing because they've all been bonding in boot camp and apparently they were allowed to decorate their own um, armors and fatigues and stuff however they wanted. Mm -hmm. So it became yeah. a personal thing. Uh, yeah. And uh, the one thing I will say about this is slight criticism is that... Uh, this, the kind of race swapping of the Vasquez character doesn't really uh, doesn't come across so well in the year 2021. Um, no. They'd cast Jeanette Goldstein, who's not in any way Hispanic, and just made her look that way by putting on dark makeup and stuff. And it's kind of like, ooh, that's <laughs> that's not great, to be honest, James no. Cameron. But 
again, the unfortunate thing is she does a fantastic performance and the character's great and uh, yes. some really funny lines. You know, the line of, um, have you ever been mistaken for a man? No, have you? The greatest <laughs> comeback, I think, in, a, in yes. movie history, maybe. And despite um, it being 2021, discussions are still going on to this day around, uh, you know, gender, gender normatives and, and, and what's acceptable in, in society, you know. And I think that was a great comeback, a great line and a great challenge and something that still stands relatively well today, even if, like you say, the actress um, who played it maybe wasn't of, uh, of that particular background. Yeah, exactly. But uh, that's the thing. I think the banter is the thing that worked really well in this film because the Marines, like you say, they've all they're all kind of ripping it out of each other and they're all giving each other a hard time here and there. But it's clearly it, it's almost that kind of affectionate way you get with soldiers or, or bands of brothers. And yes, uh, it, it kind of comes to a head with you were always an asshole Gorman. And then the two of them, you know, united with the hand on the grenade to, uh, yes. to take out the xenomorphs at the end. So it gives that yes. extra pathos to that scene. Uh, and I'm, I'm not quite, quite sure why, but that is one of the uh, one of my personal favourite sequences um, in the movies. That that particular ending for them, I just thought, wow, it blew me away figuratively, because obviously, literally for them, but figuratively, um, when I watched it again, I thought, <laughs> what a tremendous way to go, particularly for that line. Oh, fantastic. Loved yeah, it. I agree. It, it, it did. It affected me. I mean, it does every time, but it affected me again this time. And I was like, that's a really powerful ending. And again, <laughs> well acted and just well delivered. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I will skip over the scene that we did at university, except to say that, yes, there's a reason why we studied it. It introduces you to everything. You get yes. a bit of character introduced. It's lovely shorthand. We get every weapon. We get explanations mm -hmm. of what's going on. And it gives you your key characters arriving at your kind of horror destination. Um, yes. So, you know, it's it's important, obviously. Uh, mm -hmm. I think there's very deliberate pace here, which gives you the maximum tension. Uh, I yes. Did, uh, I did note that earlier on, on the special edition, there's a scene that's been restored where before the Marines wake up, it's kind of a very slow pan across the ship, just showing you mm -hmm. the sets and things. Uh, and I think it, there is that kind of uh, ramping up more and more kind of speed, which also happens in the dropship scene, because... It goes from kind of steady and slow to like a regular pace to we're dropping from the sky at great speed to, yes. you know, we're racing out into danger. So I think subconsciously you're, you're kind of taking on that. What is that roller coaster ride? So it works yes, really well. Yeah. And, uh, so. yeah. Remember it's primarily because uh, Hicks was asleep. Yeah, yes, but in the special edition extended version has periods where he's not asleep because it's uh, it cuts to uh, Hudson explaining and he's awake and then cuts back and he's asleep again because they didn't <laughs> he's have... asleep again. Yes, <laughs> I did see asleep. that this time around. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, that's a bit of a shame. But either either way, yeah. And uh, I do think as well, yeah, in terms of uh, building up tension and stuff, I think the music also plays its part beautifully. A fantastic score by uh, James Horner, just off the back of uh, the Star Trek movies i think two maybe two and three um who gives a fantastic brilliant you know horror tense score um yes which i always like to mention when i can so there you go <laughs> yeah. and similarly the music suddenly stopping i think when they enter the tunnel and when it becomes just the ambient sound of like wind and dropping water and uh that's very kind of horror tension very yes. nice um yeah leave, leave mm -hmm. it uh pair it right back so from as you say the soundtrack and all of the additional kind of notes and the strings and things and the electronic sounds all the way back to literally the ambient sound which puts you right into the moment that those characters would be experiencing it mm -hmm. as themselves there at the scene. Uh, I completely agree absolutely it's a good way of putting it absolutely yeah um, so then we meet Newt which is key because that um, 
it does give you that kind of, uh, you know, somebody has survived and she's very capable and it gives hope to the colonists and stuff, uh, mm -hmm. which is kind of useful. And of course, on that mention, in terms of Newt, um, that's one of the things that Ripley, Ripley states, the Marines, particularly Hudson, when he's, he's clearly having a bit of a, an episode of fear overcoming him, she says, look, you know, this girl has survived with no weapons. Uh, yeah, we find all the colonists in one place, obviously, which I think... Uh, it's it's a great scripting idea again that it turns out it's a place where they can't use their weapons, which puts them on an immediate back foot. Yes, <laughs> it's nice. Yes. Um, All that planning and preparation, description of the high-powered, high-velocity, high-explosive <laughs> weapons they've got, all of which cannot be used because it'll explode the damn place to bits. Yeah, and again, the, in terms of the great lines, I just love, uh, well, that's just great. What are we supposed to use? Harsh language. <laughs> <laughs> really ramps home the, even though three of you were like, yeah, not great. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, the, it, suddenly they find themselves in the ludicrous situation of having the weapons and not being able to use them against an enemy that's literally crawling out of the walls. Absolutely, Absolutely. terrifying. I was just going to get to that, and that's. I think that's great that that's the first time you see the alien, which is surprising because it doesn't happen until half way through but doesn't feel like that um, no, so it's like no. it's an hour and 12 minutes into two hours and 35 uh, but the presence is kind of always there and then when they do come it is very much the uh, oh they're in the walls kind of like the they're in yeah. the trees Vietnam ambush type thing but yes. um, yeah. it's so well done the way that the movement of them kind of uncurling and, and jumping and the way that throughout the movie they stalk the, everyone and run up through the ceilings and mm -hmm. it's just really I think it, it improves immensely on what the first movie did and uh really makes these things seem like a kind of a hideous threat that you wouldn't want to have chasing you. <laughs> yeah, it's um, almost as though it doesn't matter where they are in the complex. You know, the way in which the alien can can think about attacking the enemy in this three-dimensional space, they can literally come from anywhere, which again ramps up the tension. And, and as for the look, you know, you, you're talking... A lot of the backgrounds are kind of heavily industrialized because, of course, it's meant to be a location that's literally terraforming a planet or a planetoid, I think it is. And so half the time when, you, when the camera is panning and you know it's going to be a sequence with an alien, but you can't immediately tell because they're so well blended with the environment. Terrifying. Yeah. It's great. It is. It's, it's kind of camouflaged to, uh, to perfection. So I love it. And I love that, like I said, the way they move and everything. It's sci-fi horror greatness, I think, uh, personified. Mm. And I do like the, uh, it's, it's a geeky kind of deep dive, but uh, I do like that these aliens have the ridges on the uh, domed carapace, uh, which mm. is apparently entirely because they just didn't put the extra layer of gel on. Um, because <laughs> they always have ridges, apparently, but in the first movie they put on like a ton of gel, which made it look smooth. Uh, but right. in this movie, they didn't get around to doing that yet. And Cameron saw them without them and was like, no, it looks better, just keep it. Uh, yeah. Which has caused fantastic nerd debate for apparently years about like, well, it, maybe these ones are just older than the one on the first ship, or maybe it's a, a different cast of the, the, the um, particular breed that protects the queen or that fights as a soldier or a warrior. But yes. either way, I just yes. really think it's a, it's a really cool design. So Absolutely. Yeah. Fantastic design. I mean, it, it's something that I'm sure will stand the test of time as we've seen um, the, the alien concept, that particular design kind of spread through multiple media. It all goes back to H.R. Geiger, I think, as the initial designer, so credit to him as well. So, Yes, uh, yeah. and, and what's interesting, of course, if you look at some of H.R. Uh, Geiger's produced materials and his artworks, it's 
some of it's far more extreme or, yes. or even more disturbing than than the context in which it's brought in an alien and aliens alien three and so on um clearly very heavily influenced and and leaned on and, and produced artwork specific for the film but man yeah. some of his stuff is just uh it's well, yes. literally out of this world you know <laughs> absolutely yeah but i do think it's worth giving props as well to the fact that he didn't design the alien queen but it, i think it's yes. a perfect development of his design and he apparently has agreed um that you know they came up with that of their own accord it was stan winston and james cameron who invented it yet it looks mm. exactly like it and it fits into like this is the creature that births these others and uh yes uh, just quickly we get a lot of um what tends to be iconic lines in quick succession so we get ripley saying we should take off and you the site from all but it's the only way to be sure um which then leads to the kind of the, the death of the people on the dropship bless them with the very quick mm. shot of uh, a blood splatter which is all you need really and then within quick succession we also get oh um, this is it we're done for game over man game over and the line that has apparently haunted carry on hen for years they mostly come at night mostly <laughs> we just absolutely adore don't we <laughs> oh it is it is fantastic i mean they stood there in the open plain um, and it is nighttime, and they mostly come at night. Mostly, oh, fantastic! I'm not quite sure whether she, whether she was um, American or English at that point, but there we go. Well, I was going to say, um, yeah, it turns out she was living in England. And now, when I read that before watching this time, my word, you notice it because she suddenly turns very pot at random moments. And uh, the key one to listen for is uh, there's a shortcut there across the roof. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wow, what happened there? <laughs> It is, it's a little bit reminiscent of uh, Mary Poppins. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, I think Carrie Ann Hen did a great job. And I will say that uh, I, I have had the pleasure of meeting a couple of people from this movie. So I've met Mark Ralston, who played uh, Drake, uh, mm. poor guy, <laughs> and uh, didn't survive long. Um, and no. he, he was uh, he was quite uh, quite nice and gave me a lovely signature and, uh, and signed it with his character's name. Uh, but I also met um, Colette uh, Hiller, who played Pharaoh. Uh, who oh, was yes. really lovely, gave us free photos, me and my brother, without extra charge or anything, talked to us for ages and uh, revealed to us that she was Carrie Ann Hen's acting teacher on the set. Um, oh, nice. And I gave her massive props and was like, wow, I, I, that was a shock to hear. And Because uh, you don't think of you know people having to teach these kinds of things, and it's such a good naturalistic performance. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, kudos to you for that, absolutely. Um, Definitely. So, yeah, I'll uh, just quickly race us ahead. We've talked a lot about the things at the end, but, um, again, great characterization. <clears throat> the uh, actual Rip, uh, Ripley kind of, what's the word, suiting up and gearing up scene uh, mm -hmm. basically creates the idea, I think, of the kind of action heroine uh, as yes. a development of the final girl idea from horror. Um, yes, absolutely. But, uh, I would concur yeah. with that. 100%. Absolutely, yeah. Great. And I think, uh, yeah, Ripley, without Ripley, you don't get Sarah Connor and you don't get even recent things like uh, Furiosa and Mad Max and things like that. So uh, mm -hmm. I think yep. the, the film, yep. uh, it did, it created a, a huge archetype and uh, very, very good. Uh, the kind of tension as Ripley enters the lair and things become, as I say, I, I've, I've just basically made the note, I think the last 20 minutes are probably the greatest 20 minutes in uh, in cinema history, or certainly the greatest last 20 minutes, the way that it's uh, it just ramps up more and more. Uh, yeah, 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 which I, I think, and I know obviously I, I understand it's it's for another review, but I think it it kind of clearly it leads into Alien Three, um, mm. and and the train wreck that was 
uh, at least the start of that film when the storytelling could have oh. been so very different with the yeah. characters that we wanted to see in that particular yes. sequel. I so think that is what that is what hurts that is that it's starting off with the death of Hicks and Newt is immediately a back foot that it never really gets a chance to recover from. But uh, no, it's no. a shame. And, you know, I'm I'm not about to say I've I've written a script that would have uh, you know have it done any differently, but the the feel and the look um, of, of Alien Three was so reminiscent of uh, of Alien that it almost did a disservice to Aliens. But there we go. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, so again, that last scene, just to give it its props, the Queen is fantastic. The acting by Sigourney Weaver, I think, as she gives up hope when she finds the tracker and then immediately springs to action when she hears Newt screaming. Uh, yes. It's just brilliant. Um, yes. Epic, the epic reveal of kind of the alien queen and the cargo loader by like uh, behind doors or in shadows, I think, is, is brilliantly done. And uh, I, I think on that moment when um, just kind of slightly before that, when you've got Ripley facing the alien queen, yeah. and certainly on the special edition, and you have to forgive me because I haven't watched the theatrical to look at a side-by-side -side comparison, but if you look yeah. at the special edition, there's a few telling moments where Ripley's looking at the queen, and she kind of cocks her head, and the queen cocks her head, but where she starts to trigger the uh, the flamethrower, which sets yes. the whole thing off and sets the queen clearly completely enraged, is because one of the uh, facehugger eggs starts to open. So clearly yes. Ripley can't... You know, you can't have it both ways. You can't say, right, I will let you leave if you don't kill all of my children. Um, yeah. If that's then going to kill you and your child. So it was just that interplay, as you say, if we go back to sort of the very start of this, uh, this, this look at aliens as, as a whole, as a thematic piece, you know, um, as, a, as an amazing movie with lots of high concept. You've got yeah. uh, literally the alien, the other, but still this, uh, this biological female yeah, staring down uh, our our Ripley, as as you say, as the as the final girl, as the heroine, and, yeah. and there are knowing looks exchanged. Amazing, amazing, and I picked amazing, that up at yeah. half two in the morning. <laughs> absolutely, but and it is it's absolutely all there. And like I said, the fact that she gives the queen gives the kind of anguished scream of it is it's absolutely like I said. I made the note. Um, you're killing her babies, and she's pissed. You know what I mean? Yeah, you're not, yeah you're she not is absolutely in that situation. Absolutely, you know? completely <laughs> agree. Yeah, you know. The, However, however, we might view the alien as the other and terrifying and abomination. Clearly, that's what's being conveyed in that particular scene, isn't it? Amazing. Absolutely. And I, I've always loved the way that when she really gets like angry and uh, she's all out for revenge, that she literally rips her body off the egg sac. Yes. And you yes. see the actual, like the grotesque close-up of it, like tearing off, uh, which again, kind of thing you would see in nature with bugs and stuff, but... It's also thematically perfect of, like, I abandoned my role as mother, now I'm just going to murder you, you know? Yes, um, absolutely, yes. <laughs> the instinct uh, to hunt for food and the instinct to, to hunt to kill apparently are different in nature. Um, yeah. And you can see the, the rage taking over and that giant, as you say, the, the puppetry, is, it's an amazing sequence, but that detachment and this kind of this huge monstrous being um, yeah. making its way towards Ripley and Newt, absolutely terrifying. An amazing moment in cinema. I agree. And uh, speaking of amazing moments in cinema, like I said, the reveal of the power loader and, of course, the iconic line, as misquoted in Scream 2, get away from her, you bitch. It's just brilliant, <laughs> isn't it? Um, as you mentioned that, come on, give me the misquote. What was the misquote? Well, they get it wrong in Scream 2. Um, somebody says, oh, yeah, you've got to, you're talking about sequels that are better. And someone says, Aliens is better. Uh, get away from her, you bitch. And then the Randy character says, I believe the line is, stay away from her, you bitch. It's film class, get it right, or something. And I'm like, no, no, you actually got it wrong, Randy. They didn't get it right the first time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. 
Excellent. <laughs> That's a really deep uh, film geek level, but um, yeah, again. So again, you know, going on to influence um, influence movies well in advance uh, in, in in cinematic history. You know, it shows how influential it's been. It is, and I mean, like like I say, I don't. I think it's it's one of a few films around that era, the seventies and eighties, where sequels were becoming as well regarded, if not better. I think um, the Empire Strikes Back, the Godfather Two, and Aliens are kind of the the holy trinity of like, wow, you can do great sequels and they're not less than what's come before. Um, yes, yes. Yeah. So again, like you said, the legacy of sequels that, that could live up to their expectations is, uh, is there as well. But mm. uh, again, that last scene, everything from, I, I don't even know how they did it, the action and the scripting of the power loader fighting the queen and, uh, you know, tumbling into the airlock and opening the door and uh, what half of Bishop rescuing Newt and everything. Um, yes. And then, you know, you ultimately end with a really sweet moment with everyone kind of uh, tucked up in bed and uh, just a very abrupt ending of, oh, we might be able to sleep now. And, and there you go. Um, <laughs> it might be OK. So... <laughs> I mean, one, one of the things I really liked was um, how, how the power loader was used and it showed a real sense of physicality if we're talking yes. about how good the, uh, the effects were. I mean, it yeah. really felt that it was actually connecting with a physical thing and that there was power behind it, but in turn that the Queen had real power and real venom. I mean, some of those strikes from the tail, gosh, you know, and mm. as I say, it, it flicks that first person, you think, oh, well, yeah, absolutely, absolutely terrifying. The, the tail, <laughs> but I would also say the bit that, that really, you know, soils my pants, shall we say, is when um, it's getting up in Ripley's face. And the sort of, uh, what, what did Family Guy call it? The little mouth inside of the big mouth yes. starts darting out like a piston adder. And I'm like, yes. as, as I call it, <laughs> as it would be in nature, the secondary set of jaws emerges. Yes. Yeah, yeah. To give that extra extra reach in order to uh, to kill the prey. But my God, yeah, absolutely terrifying sequence. And it's just the culmination of the ramping up of that tension. And, and as for Bishop lying there, ripped in half, well, I'll go back to my recollection as a child. I think it still haunts me now, my Michael, I really do. I think it still haunts me now. You think that's responsible for part of your kind of uh, deviance? (laughs) (laughs) Certainly, probably my obsession with uh, horror in general, and uh, particularly in sci-fi horror, which I do have a a penchant for, no doubt. You know, there's there's something about that unknown, but also the the strange biology that could be out there in the stars. Shall we say? I'm curious how you, as a child, kind of took that scene because it is it's like milky white. It's not blood. So did part of you not wonder what the heck it was that was going on during that scene? Um, (laughs) I I think all I felt at that moment, seeing that, was pure abstract, abject horror. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Fair enough. Um, As my my literally my blood uh, turned to ice. Well, that's a good, effective bit of work then. So uh, anyway, we'll uh, we'll end as abruptly as the movie does, because again, I know you've got uh, a family life to be heading off to. So uh, we'll, uh, I'd, I'd better check what uh, terrors they are going to cause me. <laughs> I will uh, stick around after you leave and read the audience interaction section. I know it'll be out of order, uh, listeners, but you know, try not to worry too much about that. Um, so what we will do before that is we'll get your conclusion and score, then mine, which will give us an overall podcast score for the, the movie. And then, as I say, I'll finish up with some audience interaction that I will record uh, solo. But uh, yeah, so did you have any last thoughts or anything? Or would you like to just spin into a conclusion of what you thought of the movie and then your uh, star rating out of five? I think my last thoughts, um, both for you, Michael, and for the audience uh, more widely, is that is uh, it is an absolutely amazing cinematic masterpiece. 
um, certainly of its time, but also prescient now, um, crosses multiple genres, and uh, I, I just love it, you know, from, from maybe not from that first moment where I was terrified as a child, but uh, subsequently and since, uh, the, there's not many films I can really compare it to, um, and I've probably watched it, uh, I, would, I would say certainly in, in the tens of times, absolutely, mm. and it, it was still a pleasure even to have watched it just a couple of days ago to refresh my memory on it, um, so much so that when the DVD paused halfway through and I couldn't get quite get it to work immediately, I just mm. uh, rented another copy because I wanted to watch <laughs> it there and then and keep going. That's you dedication, know. yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's just fantastic. It has all the right ingredients. It's, it's got everything I like. Um, and I think it absolutely holds up to the test of time. So um, you'll have to forgive me. Are we, are we going out to score out of 10 or a score out of 5? We or do uh, scores. Uh, star rating out of 5 is, uh, is the way we do it. Star rating out of 5. Okay, well, um, for the theatrical, I'll go a 4.5. And, and for, I think, the special edition, I will go 5 out of 5. An absolutely monumental piece of cinematic history worth watching by anybody on a mm. second, third, fourth viewing. Excellent. And uh, uh, just bear with me because I, I have, as usual, my own very highfalutin, uh, slightly longish conclusion, but I always have it written <laughs> out because my thoughts are difficult to gather sometimes. So uh, go for it. What I have said is this is a breathtaking roller coaster of horror action that defined everything from the role of the female action star to the introduction of the alien queen to the law. Possibly the best example of what a sequel should do, build off the original, ramp up the stakes enormously, and develop all of that into your own unique story. Uh, it's no shock to say that this and Ridley Scott's original are competing for the best Alien movie, and for two of the most impactful movies ever made. Uh, it's usually said that Scott made a brilliant haunted house horror, and Cameron made a great action horror. I agree to an extent, but I think that um, underplays the horror tropes and ideas that Cameron does execute subtly, but brilliantly, uh, in what would be his last foray into the horror genre. Um, expert writing and direction from a master craftsman and auteur, a thrilling story, exceptional acting that more action, sorry, that more than holds up, and acting, uh, imagery that's become iconic, a great score. Uh, yes, there are some questionable decisions or things that haven't aged well, but that's not nearly enough to dent the sheer brilliance of a film that, for me, just tops even its predecessor. Uh, and I also would have given it five stars out of five, and did. So there you go. Um, <laughs> and again, Tremendous. Like, like you, if you if you are uh, interested in uh, the theatrical edition, I would say it, it's at least a half star less good. <laughs> but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, thank you for uh, for joining us. Very welcome. I uh, hope you all enjoyed my uh, exploration of the uh, Aliens movie, and I hope to be back, but in particular for Prometheus, which is one of my current favourite films. I shall uh, I shall certainly mark that down that you are interested in doing that. And, uh, yeah, we have to uh, do this more often and uh, maybe just keep in touch a bit more in general. But, uh, yeah, give uh, my best to the uh, the missus and the kids and uh, take care of yourselves. And yeah. Certainly will do. Excellent. Thank you very much for having me on board, and I look forward to the next one. No problem. Take care, my friend. Bye-bye right. for now. Cheers. <laughs> Catch you later. Bye for now. Bye. Bye. Okay, so it's uh, just me now. We've said goodbye to uh, Gary, and we're just going to uh, finish up everything that uh, needs to be completed for the uh, for this episode and thusly for the first series of the podcast. First of all, we'll start with saying uh, what, what I should have said when Gary was here. Obviously, the average for the podcast is, once again, quite easy to work out. Uh, from uh, a five-star rating from both myself and Gary means that the final score for the podcast is 
five stars out of five for the movie Aliens, or at least for the 1990 special edition of Aliens. I think we both agreed uh, the theatrical release would probably be knocked down about half a point each, but make of that what you will. Um, and so that brings us on to uh, to conclude matters with the audience interaction section, as we usually do. Uh, and uh, again, as I usually do, um, I put out a tweet uh, and a Facebook message uh, to find out other people's opinions and thoughts on the movie Aliens and uh, just see, you know, get get the audience involved as, as we've tended to, as, as it has been a feature that I think I've uh, enjoyed and been uh, finding interesting. So we'll start with the regular co-host Will uh, from the podcast, Will Templar. Um his review was posted on Letterboxd, but he did make some notes as well. He was supposed to be here, but uh, in the end, life got in the way. He's very busy at the moment with various bits and pieces and uh, <laughs> isn't sure he can commit to podcasting and the like. But he did watch the movie um, and he did leave this review. So I promised I'd read it out and I will. Um, and Will says, the movie still holds up and the final 20 minutes, excluding the final battle at the very end, are excellent. Boasts awesome performances, though I thought Carrie Hen as Newt wasn't just some screaming child on my first watch. Boy, was I wrong. Fails to replicate the original movie's scare factor, opting for action rather than jump scare horror, which resonates with me more in making me crap myself. That and the initial swarm were mostly seen on security cameras and through reaction shots of the Marines. Disappointing. Biggest plus, crisp direction. Biggest downfall, action horror. Uh... Will gives the film four stars out of five. So um, that's his score for it. Uh, and so moving over to Facebook, uh, I only got a few responses on here. The first by Alf Hughes uh, simply responds, it's good, but not as good as Alien, but better than the rest. Uh, Jay Hildreth says, love it just as much as the first. I can't pick a favorite. Uh, and Curtis Amos says, I love both so much, but I'm more on Aliens uh, as I agree with, as you'll know if you've just listened. Uh, so here we go. Moving over to Twitter, at Michael Sheehan says, I would rank the Aliens movie at 12, being the best movie ever because of Bill Paxton and a killer soundtrack. Not quite sure I understand the rating system there, but let's just call it top marks. Uh, at Grimlock5 says, probably tied with best in the franchise, incredibly influential to science fiction. I mean, I didn't realize how much the Terrans of Starcraft owe to the humans in that movie. Plus, we get the first real interaction with the entire life cycle of the aliens. Uh, of course, I went over that. Um, at Mr. Underscore G Ward says, it's one of the best sequels ever. It adds to the horror of Alien with some brilliant action and a great team of characters. I probably still prefer Alien, but it's very close. After this film, the franchise was never quite as good again. Nor was Cameron. A little bit of a controversial statement, uh, Mr. Ward. I will point out that Terminator 2 came after this movie, but regardless, we'll <laughs> move on. Um, at Mangler 112, a regular contributor says, might be the best sequel ever. Then again, James Cameron never fails for me. It's always the big debate, which is better, Alien or Aliens. For me personally, Aliens is better because the character of Ripley is so much more fleshed out, especially in the special edition version, which again, Gary and myself went over. Um, at Herald of Creation says, it is probably the film I have seen more than any other. It defines action sci-fi alongside the Terminator. It isn't just 10 out of 10. It is at the top of all the films ranked 10 out of 10. Very high praise there. Um, Hoopy middle-aged variant Time Lord says, a solid 10 out of 10 for Aliens. It's just above the original for me. 
uh, All Trek is Good uh, chimes in with Alien and Aliens are both great films. Can't decide between them which is the best. Uh, at Jeff Cockwell, who joined us last week from the MCU Corner to Corner podcast, has chimed back in with a review uh, for a second week in a row here. Uh, he simply says, five stars, best film of the series, another Cameron masterpiece. Uh, and his co-host and our other guest of last week, at Dr. Oho, Paul, of course, from the uh, from the MCU C2C podcast, says, I love it. I used to rent out the VHS every weekend back in the day so I could watch it again and again and again. And if you're wondering why I didn't just buy it, it was because VHS movies were not cheap to buy unless you wanted a crappy ex-rental, which still cost £30. Bit of a deep dive into uh, the early days of VHS there, but certainly praise for the movie as well. And finally, at Arsenic82 says, as far as sequels go, it's up there with T2, in my opinion, on par, if not better, than the original. So, yeah, a lot of uh, a lot of high praise, I think, for this movie. I don't think anyone's really down on it as such. Um, so that, uh, that'll conclude this episode. And as I said earlier, the uh, first series, or what I hope will be the first series, of the big screen podcast. I will definitely be back with a second series, hopefully later in this year, 2021. Um, I'm not sure if I will have Will as my regular co-host with me. He's got a lot of things on with university and being busy and such, but I have had definite interest from guests and people who wanted to come on and discuss their favourite movies or various other bits and pieces. So I'm hoping that I can put something together regardless and bring you something. But uh, as you'll know, if you watched the trailer at the start of this episode, uh, I'm disappearing from this podcast because I'm going to do another one for the next uh, 10 to 11 weeks. And that is the new Hit or Miss Star Trek podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to the YouTube channel now. I'll leave the link uh, in the description here. Uh, or you can go to at HomTrek, that at, that's at H-O-M-Trek on Twitter, uh, where all the information is there. And that will launch on September 5th with our first episode uh, looking at the Star Trek The Next Generation pilot encounter at Farpoint. So uh, it just remains for me to, again, thank Will for um, being here throughout this uh, this first series of the podcast and helping me get it launched. Uh, thanks to Gary for being my guest today. Thanks to all the other contributors and guests from throughout the series. And uh, do go back and enjoy our past episodes. They'll stay there, of course, for your enjoyment. And uh, hopefully we will be together and you'll join us for series two very soon. Take care. Good night. Goodbye.